23. Tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel 23. Now the last time we covered uh, 21 and 22, and David had a real struggle with faith in those chapters. He gave in to fear, did some things that um, were not really becoming of someone of a, of a great faith. Uh, I, I find it amazing. Some things just strike me when he takes a look at this, the sword of Goliath and would think back to those days where he had just such great faith to take out Goliath, uh, this Goliath of a problem uh, physically and uh, spiritually. And tonight, we're going to look at this renewed vigor in terms of his faith. So this is the good news. He kind of goes on an upswing. And even though his circumstances surrounding him don't change all that much, the inside of him changes, and I'm going to revisit that. So you might say, yeah, but David's still on the run for a while. Yeah, but we'll talk about that. So let's jump in in chapter 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now, again, we leave off with David really skirting Israel. Uh, he's afraid of King Saul. He's in places where he doesn't belong. Uh, and then he's told uh, by the prophet Gad, God wants you to go back to Israel. Stop hanging out in these places. You see, King Saul's on the throne, and he's just maddened. He wants to kill David. So David, in his mind and in his fear, decides to try to get as far away from King Saul as possible. But God tells him, go back into Israel. Now, he goes back at the end of the last chapter, and here we see he rescues Keilah in Judah, or this town, the Keilahites. And it says, David inquired of the Lord. I love that, because we didn't see that in the last two chapters. We saw really a crisis of faith. And God says, yes. You know, almost as if God's saying, I've been here waiting for you to just open up to me, just to ask me something. Yes, go. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. And, you know, doing God's will invigorates us. It gets us off the spiritual couch. It gets us to do something, to be a part of something important, much bigger than ourselves. And I think a lot of problem with society is we have so much in America. There's every technology, every medical technology, things that three-quarters of the world's population don't have. And a lot of Americans are still unhappy. You know, we're always looking for our self-esteem to be boosted. But the truth is, I think sometimes we're too focused on ourselves. And I would encourage those who are struggling to get involved. Now, I'll tell you this. When we started going to the Roclean home in Monroe, some of you are shaking your heads. Uh, boy, it brought tears to your eyes. You know, I don't... I tell you, one time me and Maria, we, we kind of like were tearing up and just kind of trying to... And we looked at each other and laughed because you just see these people who are so needy, and they felt like the forgotten of society. When we do something for others and we're in God's will, it invigorates us. It gives us a purpose. 
Before I was saved, I had a lot. I, I would achieve the goals that I set, and I still wasn't happy because I had no purpose because my whole life was lived about me. So here, God says to David, go, do it. You know, go save those people from the Philistines. Verse 1, the Philistines robbed the threshing floor. And we saw this at the overnight in the story of Ruth with Boaz after he threshed the grain, separated the edible from the unedible parts. And then they would have their storehouses, and Boaz actually slept by the threshed grain to keep it from uh, thieves. But in this situation, the Philistines were so close to Keilah that they came in mass to steal it. And in verse 3, enter the doubters. David's men caution him. They're afraid. Should we give them a hard time? No, because part of this was brought on by David himself. You see, in a lot of David's actions in the last two chapters, he, uh, he portrayed fear, and because of fear, he lied, and he tried to be resourceful. And there were a lot of issues surrounding that, and no doubt, at least some of his men saw that. So now, they're saying, listen, we're afraid here of King Saul. We're going to go and fight the Philistines, and we don't have that many people to begin with. You see, a leader has to be very careful how they handle themselves around others, especially spiritual leadership. Now, this really isn't in a sense of a prideful way, but a leader needs to be seen somewhat as fearless. I have to tell you, in my most difficult times, there are men that I can turn to. They're my peers, though. Now, in Calvary Chapel, we're very transparent from the pulpit. If you listen to a pastor's teaching over the years, you'll learn a lot about that person, even if you never meet him. The body likes transparency, but the body doesn't want to see fear. You see, there's, there's where the cutoff comes. So this is the, the situation where uh, David is, where he allowed some of that fear to exude onto his men. And then when he hears from God, he says, let's go. Well, it takes a little while for the delay for his men to get the message. So it's an interesting thing to look at. Even if you're discipling someone, same thing may arise. The Lord may put someone in your path. And you, they, they, if they're immature, and I don't mean that in a bad way, they're going to feed off of you in a sense. They're going to learn from you. And there are going to be certain stages where you can't show them fear. You need to go to a peer or someone higher to uh, talk to them about that. Four, David inquires of the Lord a second time. Now, again, we shouldn't be too hard on David. How many times are we told by God something and we keep asking him? <laughs> we kind of know the answer, but we ask him again. Isn't God patient with us? I love that about him. There's times I've asked him a few times, and are you sure? <laughs> you know, and he, it's, he shows you like it's as plain as day. Forgive me, I'm, I'm losing my voice. I was sick this week, so I'm a little, woo. I'm going to go up and down a little bit, try to follow me. Um, I was counseling a woman last week and really dear saint and she was concerned about this decision family decision that she thought she was going to make a bad mistake and i said to her you know you're in prayer you're in the word you and your husband are equally yoked i believe that when we're in a relationship with god that his voice becomes more discernible when we're in a relationship that's weak with god and we're self-deceived about where we are Sometimes we think we hear the voice of God, but it's our own thoughts, or it's the enemy sowing seeds of discord. But when we're in unity with the Lord and we're in a close relationship with him, the voice of God, that small voice, is much more discernible. The fifth verse, so they go. 
Faith without works is dead. David knew that God gave him the charge, so he went, and they conquered, and it was great. And even his men came along, so, which was a good thing. So that, this issue was maybe um, a temporary lapse where the guys say to David, hey, you know, we're afraid, but eventually they realize he's anointed, he's their leader, God is with him, we're going to follow him. Now, two points to ponder here. Number one is that David needed to be taught how to be a shepherd. And in this difficult time that he's going through where he's running from Saul and he's not the king yet, um, you know, he was fighting for his life. But in this portion of scripture, what David was shown, something was added to the equation, that there's other people that need your help. You know, David, you're, you're trying to preserve your life. You're, you may be in some type of fear, but let me give you an overriding um, principle, David. There are other people who are counting on you. And that's what a leader has to do. They have to see how to be a shepherd and how to have self-sacrifice. So now David's concerns and safety needs were put on the back burner for those people of Keilah. The second thing that we see is that these difficulties, and we'll see over time, molded David's character. Um, listen, sometimes we mess up. Sometimes in ministry we mess up. And I'm going to say something that may sound bizarre based on what society tells us, but sometimes failure is good. Huh? <laughs> Don't we learn from failure? And when we dig our heels in and refuse to believe that we've done something wrong, it usually makes things a lot worse for us. So failure is good. I want to give you a little... Um, when I was younger, I had a 10-speed. My friends and I used to 10-speed a lot around Staten Island. And uh, we, we had this stuff called WD-40. And we used it for our sprockets. We used it to loosen rusty. WD-40 did everything. WD-40 and duct tape. You could fix anything with those two products, okay? But WD-40 was, um, it stood for Water Displacement 40th Try. Did you know that? The 40th Try. So it took this company 40 tries to finally get this stuff right. Now, what if they stopped at 39? What if they stopped at 30? The world would have never known WD-40. And me and my friends, I don't know, we might have been using an oil can or something. But by the same token, brothers and sisters, you know, we might be on the 39th try. Hang in there for one more, you know? And it really is a character builder. Verse 6. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now, Abiathar, if you remember from uh, chapter 22, was the only priest left after Doeg's bloodbath. And he takes the ephod to determine God's will. Now, ephod, you go back into the law, it basically was like a vest-like garment. It had some pockets, there were some things on it, and it contained what they called the urim and the thummim, which were the lights and the perfection. And they would use these objects to determine, God would use it to determine his will to the priest. Now, another way God spoke to the people was through his prophets, the second way. And the third way, at times, God spoke personally to some. Now, today, the Bible tells us that God speaks to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit will never go against his word. 
Some will try to claim that, but that's not true. God is always unified in his thought. Uh, and also, you know, uh, Hebrews 1-2 tells us that he has spoke to us in these latter days through, through Jesus Christ and his teachings. Now, King Saul finds out what happened, and he's so delusional that he thinks that God is going to deliver David into his hands. You see two people here, David and King Saul, and both of them believe that God is showing them something. But one of them is right, and one of them is wrong. <laughs> and you may run into that at some times, where you believe strongly from the Lord that he's saying something, and someone else is telling you something completely opposite, and you're wrong. The best thing to do there is go into his word. What does his word say? Well, we know that David was anointed. We know that he gave a stamp of approval. So Saul's just delusional at this point. There are sometimes you'll run into those that flamboyantly boast their relationship with God, but they're self-deceived, almost as if they're trying to convince you. And Saul, and we'll see the lingo, and, and we'll start to build a case for his, it's just all surface, it's all outside. You know, his words, and that's it. His life doesn't, uh, is not in tow with his words. Verse 9. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down? As your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. Now, we saw in the last uh, portion that Saul was going to besiege him. And besiegement, there's going to be two military terms that we're going to learn of tonight. One is a besiegement, where you uh, pen or hem the opposing forces in. You seal them off. And then it could be a protracted um, you know, standoff between the two until you finally, uh, you, know, you keep penning them in. You let them run out of supplies, and you weaken them, and you assault them until you destroy them. So that's what he's trying to do to David. And David now, he seeks the Lord here with a series of questions. Think about if you were David. Think about what just happened with Keilah. Everything's starting to look up, right? And then he gets these responses. Sometimes it's better not to know details. <laughs> I mean, there's some points in my life that I think if God gave me the granularity of things that I would face in the future, that I, maybe it wouldn't be a good thing. So I, I kind of, I'm cool with the whole guiding thing, and um, you, know, you kind of want your, everything laid out for you, uh, because that's the way we do. We plan, we think, but sometimes it's better not to know. So here he knows these things. The Lord answers, the men of Keilah, remember the ones he just saved, will deliver you. Imagine hearing that. Boy, that must have felt like a knife. After all David did for them. Now, these are just words on a page, but just put yourself back into that situation. It's a battle with the Philistines. Did he lose any men? I don't know. Did some of them get wounded? Did some of them get exhausted? Did they uh, hurt some of their supplies for now protecting themselves from Saul? I don't know. Now, all of a sudden, as quickly as they save these guys from the Philistines, they're turning on David. So here's a few points to consider. Number one, the Lord doesn't always give us the answer we want. 
or the answer that we think we deserve. And if you've been a believer long enough, you understand that God is sovereign. He knows what's best. Two, you can do so much for some and they won't appreciate you. And if you've lived long enough, you'll realize that as well. And sometimes this is tough in leadership because if you look at this, the Lord was in David helping them. Remember, he asked, should I deliver them? Sure. He didn't tell them at that point what was going to happen afterwards. And sometimes when we help somebody and we pour into them, and this is the type of thing that happens, it can lead to bitterness. Now, I'm not saying that with David, but I'm saying that I know I've experienced that. And that's something that we, we need to just be in prayer in the Lord and say, you know what, I, want, I don't want this to consume me. I've got to get past it. Right? And we'll go into this a little bit uh, deeper. Jesus had his Judas. And the truth is that Satan looks to find the, the person closest to you to hurt you because the trophy is a lot better. So think about the person who's is the relationship that's really close to you. If Satan can use that against you, and because you're, you're a believer and you're serving the Lord, he wins a victory. Right? Now, I think about, with me, my wife is fiercely loyal to me. And even if she has to rebuke me, she'll do it in private. I have a very stand-up woman, so he can't get to her. Could he get to my son later in life? I don't know. Could he get to somebody in the church? It's happened before. But this is what Satan loves to do. And listen, th this pulpit is not politically correct. I'm going to talk to you about the things that affect you. I'm not going to always preach to you a flowery message. Satan will use those closest to you. That's his desire. And if he can't get the closest person, he'll go for the second or the third until he finds someone who can wound your heart, make you feel bitter, and say, you know what, I give up. I try to do so many good things. I'm trying to serve the Lord, and look what happens to me. That's the attitude he's looking to get out of us. But this is what happens. And then we start to question ourselves. Was the Lord really in this? Did I really hear? How could this be the answer? I'll give you a, a quick, a brief uh, situation with a, a couple that left our church, and it's a really good ending. And it actually wasn't about me. It was about other, some other people in ministry. And they, they were really talented, and they were kind of really blessing to the body for a while. And they had gone away for some time. And I just recently talked to them about a, a separate issue. And both of them, the husband and the wife, talked to me, and they were like, you know what? Uh, you, you were such a blessing to us. The church was a blessing. You know, we're kind of sorry. We, we were immature. We handled it in the wrong way. And you know what was really neat? I said, yeah, I don't look for apologies. The fact that we're restored is the good thing. So I was excited about the restoration. But see, then you, you look at those times, and you're like, wow, that's really neat. Ministry has its ups and downs. If you're a leader, if you own your own business... Any type of leadership position, you're going to have ups and downs. Parenthood, ups and downs. You see what I'm saying? The higher you go into that leadership position, you're going to have a little bit of that roller coaster ride for a while. And it's tough. The third point is God won't always shield us. He won't always shield us from our hearts being broken or hard times. Anyone who preaches that is lying to you. This is the, this is the Christian walk. You know, Second uh, Timothy three twelve, which we'll be covering Sunday, it says, "All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution." All that's a promise. So, get your Bible promise book and pencil that in there. You know, so if that's me and I want to live godly in Christ, this is what's going to come my way. So accept that as a promise. Verse thirteen. So David's following grows to six hundred. 
They're still living like fugitives, but their numbers are growing. David takes the bad news and he leaves. Now, it does take a special type of person. Look at this 600. Okay, every time we read a little bit further, their ranks start to swell a little bit more. People are becoming disenfranchised with King Saul. Maybe his numbers would have been really great, but a lot of people did a little calculation in their mind. Hmm, 600 David. King Saul has the whole army and all his spies. I think I'll just kind of be Switzerland for today. You know what I'm saying? But the truth is the numbers are growing, and it does take a special type of person to, uh, to go on a particular type of ministry that's fraught with danger. And I think of missionaries. I love to hear stories from missionaries. I mean, they go into dangerous lands. They give up all the amenities and the comforts of, of being in America. And, uh, boy, there's some, you really see the Lord work there because they have no choice but to rely on the Lord. So this is, I, I'm making some equations with uh, ministry because David becoming the anointed one and the king of, of Israel in the future, he is in a ministry position. If you were in any leadership position in Israel, they were supposed to be God's chosen people. They were supposed to be spiritual. So if you had the office of king, you were in ministry. It's just the way it was. Verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest, or in Horesh. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So we see Jonathan again, and he refreshes David. He encourages David. Have you ever been real close to giving up, and then God sends you a lifeline in the form of a person to just encourage you? <laughs> a lot of head shaking. You know, I, you, and I've been there. You, you, just, you just get that phone call just about as you're in prayer and, or something's going on or you find out some bad news and maybe somebody from the past or uh, one of your mentors, they just call you out of the blue. And, and it's just amazing. You just look at the phone and go, wow. You know, but listen, God encourages us many different ways. Sometimes it's physical. He just, you just, as an overwhelming uh, um, experience of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's through another person. Sometimes it's through, I mean, many other things that could happen. But in this case, for David, it was Jonathan. And we should cherish those times when God uses someone to really lift us up in those difficult times. But Saul sought to kill David every day, but God did not deliver him. It reminds me of Isaiah 54, 17. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He had the whole might of the Israeli military but he could not kill David. Now we see this exchange between Jonathan and David, and what does he say? He says, number one, don't worry, David. Number two, the hand of my father will not find you. Three, you will be king of Israel. God keeps his promises. Let me encourage you with that, David. And four, even my father knows it. 
That's powerful. I mean, I could just, if I was David in that position, I would feel great. You know, like, wow, even your dad knows it. Yeah, the kingdom is crumbling. You know, he can't stop it. He's, he, he doesn't want to believe it. Even those in his, you know, I could just imagine the discussion. And David was refreshed by this visit. We, ha- we can have two types of friends. We can have friends that encourage us. Or we can have some friends that are constantly discouraging us. And if that's a pattern, maybe those are the types of friendships we don't need. We need more of the friendships like this, the ones that encourage us. Even remember when Jonathan was running up the hill to fight the Philistines, and it was only him and his armor bearer. And he was totally with the plan. Jonathan said, hey, let's attack the Philistines. The armor bearer didn't say, hey, can you do mathematics? There's only two of us, and there's at least 20 of those guys up there. Not a good idea. But he said, let's go. You know, so that was a great portion of scripture as well. Sometimes you feel that you can really take on the world if you have one other person that really encourages you spiritually. And as a matter of fact, encouragement is a spiritual gift. You know, God puts a type of person in every church who has the gift of encouragement. You know, you you could be going through the worst time, just a gloomy day, and they just have that smile, that pat on the back, those words of reassurance that right scripture that fits your situation, boy, those are really a blessing. And then I would ask this question, are you that type of good friend? Sometimes we get so caught up in looking what others are doing, but what about me? Do I encourage people the majority of the time, or am I a downer, you know? Um, And then in this this case, Jonathan is next in line to be king. He's encouraging David who if David doesn't die and becomes the king, Jonathan loses his position, and he can only hope to be second best. It really takes a special type of friend to encourage another person when that other person has more than them. Sometimes, sadly, there's jealousy between friends, and friends do weird things to each other. But in this situation, Jonathan didn't have a jealous bone in his body. He still encouraged David. Now, Some believe, and I've read this, that Jonathan's sin was that he didn't completely put his lot behind David and become part of the 600. I got to tell you, I don't agree with that. I think that Jonathan was working from the inside against his father's kingdom because he knew that David was anointed. I think you agree with me, Pastor Mike? I could see him vehemently shaking his head. Um, And, you know, I like to read different opinions and such, but I don't believe that. I believe that Jonathan was the right place at the right time, and this was David's inside man into the kingdom. Verse 15, the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph and the forest of Horesh, this is somewhere in the no man's land of Judah. Sometimes I like to give you the geography here. Uh, Probably on the west or southwest border of the Dead Sea in the mountainous region. So if you have your little um, map in the back of your Bible, you can kind of look at some of these places. Verse 19, Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakalah, which is in the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. This guy's such a phony. 
<laughs> 22. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. And who has seen him there? For I am told that he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides. And come back to me with certainty. And I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. I like that. Blessed be ye of the Lord. Wow, Saul uh, sounds like he knew the Christian lingo. Oh, did I say that? (laughs) It's a little bit of an anachronism because there was no Christianity yet, of course. But a person is worse under the guise of being a believer and they have bad motives than a person in open rebellion. And think about it, because a person who claims to be a believer but is really not, Sets a bad example, is a bad representation of God. Uh, I, went to a, I went to a call a few years back, and I remember a guy in my old church was just so vocal about the, just the Christian lingo and almost to the point of obnoxious when he would see people. So a few years ago, I go to this call, and there's a disturbance, a dispute call at a restaurant. And the restaurant owner is the one who called us, and who's the guy who's the suspect? this guy who was very vocal at the church that I went to. So I caught up with him and I said, listen, um, you better go back there and make amends because you know, I got to do a report on this and I'm not going to show you any special favoritism. And he was like, he used, you know, he used profanity, he did a few things, and I said, listen, you, you should know better. You've been a Christian for a long time. I said, why are you arguing with me? I said, you really should be convicted right now. Eventually he was, and I think maybe the, the gravity of the situation caused them to to make things right with this guy, but you know, what we do out of church says a lot more than what we do in church. I think we can all agree with that. As a police officer for 20 years, I've seen a lot of what goes on outside of church, you know, so uh, it's just, it is what it is, but really the truth is what we do, what, what I do out of church when I'm driving around, when I'm going to the supermarket, it says a lot more than what I do in the pulpit. King Saul was a master manipulator. He would use fear when applicable, and he would use sympathy when applicable. Poor me. We saw that in the last chapter. A good leader needs to do none of these. A good leader just needs to stay the course and be balanced, not try to manipulate others to get them to follow him. Otherwise, it's not true leadership. On the other hand, the Keilahites and the Ziphites, because now we see a second group of people, the Ziphites, they're willing to give up David as well. Uh, they weren't concerned about God's plan, They were just concerned about saving their own skin. Because if they were concerned and they did seek the Lord, they would have come to the group decision that we shouldn't give up David. And that says a lot about a person, too, uh, when they're in a crisis. And i got to tell you, listen, when we're in a crisis, sometimes we do things we shouldn't do because we have so many emotions running through. But at some point, we need to stabilize and get back to our foundation. Because if we... If we're always running around with our hair on fire, you know, and this is what we do every time there's a crisis, what about those that are looking to us as believers, you know? Uh, so the, the Keilahites and the Ziphites, they were just, all they cared about was saving their own skin. They didn't care about what was right. They didn't care that David was the anointed. They didn't care he was going to be the next king. All they saw was the circumstances in front of them. It was scary. So they, they made the wrong decision. 24. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. 
when, this is, I'll tell you, a lot of these places are rough territory. If you've if you ever been there, uh, sometimes churches go to Israel for a trip, and they get to see a lot of, they go to, on tours and such. Some of these places are really rough areas. So it wasn't easy what David had to do. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. Now, the second military term is called the pincher movement, or the pincer maneuver. You've heard of that as well? Uh, and that's basically where you, sometimes you'll use the center guys as a decoy, but the whole idea is to secretly go around in a circular motion and outflank on both sides, and then, you know, to come at the same time, break through, find the enemy, and just crush them, to pinch them, cut off their supply lines. This was done in Roman times, Greek times. This was done on the Eastern Front, World War II. Both the Germans and the Russians did this very fascinating stuff, cut off the air bridge. I, I'm into all this tactics, military stuff. So when we go out to paintball, I try to, I mean, it's limited because the field's small. But I'm like, this is what we got to do. You know, we got to do that. We got to cut them off. And got to synchronize our watches. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to reality here. Psalm 54, um, David recounts his time, and Pastor Paul is going to bless us as he st- starts to go into the, the upper Psalms. We're going to see a lot of these times of David's distress. Uh, Psalm 54, he recounts his time where the Ziphites betrayed him. Uh, so it'll, it'll come back to you when he starts to teach it. So I won't give away too much. Verse 27, but a messenger came to Saul saying, hasten and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the rock of escaping. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. And that's where we're going to leave off tonight. Uh, So messenger comes to King Saul and says, hey, you know, I understand you're going after David here, but we got some big problems. The Philistines are attacking. So Saul has no choice but to withdraw his, he probably has him just where he wants him. He's probably so maddened and frustrated. Um, I'd like to see a really good movie done on this uh, and and see some of the acting. But, you know, God delivered David in what we would call the proverbial 11th hour. How many of us really like it when, you know, things are going really rough and it's just at the last minute that God just kind of steps in and it's not fun, is it? And, and that's what the way the Lord works sometimes. He will deliver us in the 11th hour. All seemed lost probably for David, but uh, the Lord, I don't know, he, he makes it work out so that uh, Saul withdraws. And in our lives as well, uh, sometimes we, like to, you know, we do like to plan and we like to see things kind of abate and, and you know, relax a little bit. But uh, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through these things for a while because it really is a character builder. Like I said last Sunday, God doesn't torture us. He doesn't say, hey, now you've come to the cross, so let me torture you. Uh, He's a loving God, but he will allow circumstances to grow us because he loves us so much that our growth and maturity is much more important than our personal comfort. And we don't want to hear that all the time. I know I don't want to hear it, but it is the way it is. Um, En Gedi, the last thing that's spoken of here, means the spring of the young goat. Um, En Gedi is still around today. There's a little bit of an oasis on the... Uh, I believe it's the west side of the Dead Sea, which has a, a fresh source of potable water. And I'm told that 
Some actually bathe in the Dead Sea and there's a heavy salt and mineral content and it's real nice and therapeutic for your skin. So maybe it was just like a spa for them for a little while, but he gets a little bit of reprieve. This is where I want to end. David is still struggling. We're going to go through a few more chapters before he takes the throne. He's still a fugitive, but he's in a better place. Because the better place is the place inside. It's the place of faith. He starts to call on the Lord. He's starting to make good decisions within God's will. You see, it's better to have trials from the outside and be in a good place inside than have everything great going for us, but to be in a bad place inside. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And I just want to encourage everyone here. Where are you now? Waiting for a test from the doctor? Having a trouble with a prodigal? Um, having a difficult relationship issue, family issue, you just can't seem to get it right, financial issue, I really want to encourage you. There could be so much chaos going on inside of our lives right now. Just because we become Christians doesn't mean everything becomes perfect. However, let's be determined to be in a good place inside. Maybe some of us need to go home tonight and, and when it's quiet, just call out to God and say, you know what? I listen tonight and I, you know, I want to be like David. Lord, what is it that you have for me? As much as it hurts me and pains me to say it, I accept it, Lord. But I want to be in a good place in my heart. I want you to deliver me through it. I understand it may not be taken away from me, but I want to be delivered through it. And I want you to be the one carrying me. And he'll do that for us. So today, that we would be determined to get back on track with our close relationship with the Lord, because we can, and it's available tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're so merciful.